For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern-day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on Earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. This episode is brought to you by MJ.com and their brand new medical platform that they're rolling out in the San Francisco Bay Area. Have you visited MJ.com? MJ.com is the most trusted information source for all things cannabis. Whether you're a medical marijuana patient looking to find the right doctor or a consumer looking for exclusive savings at your favorite dispensary, MJ.com can bring you your favorite products right to your front door. Or maybe you're just a lover of the cannabis culture looking for the best original articles, interviews, podcasts, and educational information. MJ.com is the number one place to find everything you need. Visit MJ.com today. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. You know that this is the place to go if you're looking for a podcast that focuses solely on the medical aspect of cannabis use and the incredible properties that this plant holds for these medical purposes. I speak to physicians and researchers and growers and people who are doing anything innovative, creative, and healing in this space. And this week is definitely no exception. I get the chance to share with you the interview I had with Nixon Toussaint, who has a beautiful story about helping his son heal his really dramatic eczema with cannabis oil, and then the activism that he's gone on to share bringing this medicine to people and how we can change this industry for the better by including more diversity. And folks, if you haven't had the chance yet, please go over to Stitcher or Apple and give the show a rating. I would really love to see what you think of how I'm doing so far. You can even drop me an email, matthew at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. How can I improve? Who else do you want to hear on this show? All these things. Let me know. And I will be able to keep bringing you this incredible information week after week. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Nixon Toussaint. I am Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today's guest is Nixon Toussaint. Nixon Toussaint entered the cannabis industry after learning about the healing benefits of CBD and cannabis oil for his son's skin condition. I'm really excited to dive deep into that topic. After helping his son resolve this severe eczema, he took on several patients as a caregiver and began expanding his knowledge on the healing benefits of cannabis. Nixon, welcome to the show. As I was sharing, I'm thrilled to have a parent here who has used cannabis as a treatment for their child and it was successful and you're open to discussing it. So I'm really excited to dig into that. But before we do, if you don't mind just sharing a bit of your background and how you came to cannabis and 
and where you're from and all that. Sure. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Nixon Toussaint. My pathway to cannabis um, started a couple of years ago. <clears throat> it was uh, actually um, once I noticed that my son um, uh, had been having severe eczema flare-ups. I think he was about uh, one years old or so when it started to become a bit more aggressive. And uh, my wife and I uh, were trying to find a, a way to, to treat it. Uh, oftentimes, it would become um, raw and scratchy, um, uh, bloody, uh, especially at night. And uh, when he was a baby, he would just uh, lay in the crib and kind of like try to scratch it and you know get some sort of uh, relief out of it. But uh, nothing really um, helped him. Our pediatrician was uh, stressing that we should be using steroids and steroidal topicals. And uh, yet, I had a doubt that that was the proper way to go, especially considering his age. Um, I know that uh, steroids tend to stay in the system for uh, extensive periods of time. And uh, my hopes was that we could go towards more of a natural remedy. That's when I started doing research on inflammation and um, uh, natural topicals. One of the first topicals that I learned about was CBD oil. So uh, because CBD was um, essentially available in all states, I was able to go online and find a uh, reputable CBD uh, distributor. And I bought some oil, a small bottle, maybe 15 ml or so, and um, a little under 40 bucks. And so I applied this full plant extract, excuse me, I applied the, uh, the, the CBD oil extract onto his, um, uh, his eczema areas. And I noticed that it calmed the inflammation. Now their skin was still kind of bruised and scabby or so. And so my next thought was, well, if the part of the plant that is made available to us by our government is helping with just the surface issue, what would happen if I got the full plant and the full benefits? And what would happen if I applied it to my skin, to my son's skin? So, you know, I had this wondering because I figured the free stuff, you know, the things that you can buy at CVS and at any gas station. I said, well, if that helps just a little bit, if I were able to use the whole plant, I could help my son possibly with all of this. Uh, that led me on the path of learning about a man named Rick Simpson. Rick Simpson was a cannabis activist um, from Canada. Uh, however, right now he is considered a fugitive uh, because he was able to treat his own cancer as well as several of his neighbors' conditions and chronic pains and diseases for free using the cannabis plant in uh, Nova Scotia. When I learned about his story and that he was arrested and his home raided and the story goes he had about 100 people show up into court to say that he had never asked them once for one dollar or compensation he was more or less giving the medicine away and he was brought up on a charge of um, uh, drug trafficking long story short he was able to get around that because there was never any proof presented of monetary transfers a few months later uh, the 
police um, uh, came in and they raided his home once more. Uh, this time they found drugs, illicit drugs, cocaine and firearms and money. When I learned that story and I saw, wow, here's a man who was just trying to give away the same thing that I'm trying to do for my son for free. You know, and I, I can cover my son, but I don't know if I could cover, you know, hundreds of neighbors. But because he was able to cure his own cancer, his rationale was, how could I not share this with everyone? How could I not share this with everyone? That immediately pushed me further. Oh, I've actually looked back now, now that I kind of tell the story and I look back and I see, um, I kind of go back through my photos um, and I can see two years prior to me even deciding that I was going to get the CBD oil to, to about a year or so, yeah, prior, before I was deciding to get the CBD oil, I had already started trying to learn about cannabis oil and its effects. But it was just one of those things that got pushed by the wayside. For me, it wasn't until my son and hearing his crying in the evening and um, the discomfort, that's when it became real to me. That's when it became urgent. You know, I, I kind of, um, I kind of wish that I was able to, to learn about things faster, but I think it happened at the right time. So once um, I learned how to make uh, the cannabis oil using the Rick Simpson method, he started using it on my son. And it shocked me because I applied it uh, on day one. It, it took five days and we have not seen an eczema flare up since. And that's just five days. Five days. And you're, you're applying the oil topically and not internally? Not internally. Um, so I had never used cannabis uh, myself before as well. It's something I failed to say. I'd always been more of a, um, I guess, a prohibitionist and just thinking that it's not something that is necessary and that there are no major holistic benefits. I do understand that it often calms and relaxes the person. But I just had a knowledge on a very surface level. And I also felt that if the law told us that we shouldn't use it, then we should adhere to all the rules of the law. It's unfortunate because I know that uh, I'm not the only parent that has had to make this choice of whether that they be a law-abiding citizen and watch their family suffer, or if they should become a criminal and actually give their family a fighting chance. So it's a tough decision. That's a really tough decision. So as, as I look back and I realized that I, didn't, I never had a connection to this thing, and then here this thing, here this thing comes along five days later to fix my son's problem that had been going on for two, two, I think two and a half years at that point. Yeah, my son was about two and a half, three years old. So. Well, so you applied it for five days. Did you have to keep kind of a maintenance application sure. going from, yeah. from there on? And- oh, oh, no. No, no. After the five days, it's just done and hasn't come back at all. It hasn't come back at all. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. Um, so, the, so we would do, uh, he was going to like a daycare um, in the mornings. We would do um, the uh, RSO oil with a little bit of coconut oil just as, as a carrier in the morning. And then in the evening, once he returns home after his bath, we would apply it again. And the first, it took five days. I do have to say, um, remember prior to that, we were applying CBD oil. That was the first, that was the first treatment. But five days, I no longer saw the lesions and the, the, the scabs gone. Wild. Wow. And, but so now you do live in a state where cannabis is legal medically, right? That's correct. 
That's correct. I'm one of the fortunate parents that actually has, you know, those as an, that as an option. Um, but I know there's many out there who do not. Yeah. And so were you, I don't know if you want to get into all the details of it, but were you growing the plants yourself or sure. did you go yeah. and procure the medicine from other avenues? Yeah. So I, I had to procure it um, uh, from dispensaries um, uh, in the area, uh, but you did bring up a, a point of, of growing uh, because of what, what I was able to do for my son, uh, my, my wife's um, good friend, uh, who was battling with a lymphoma cancer at the time. She had came by one day and she visited and she was asking, hey, you know, how, how are the kids doing and everything? And I want to say this is about 2017, early 2017. And I told her, I said, oh, you know, kids are good. And, you know, by the way, Micah, um, we took care of his eczema. So, you know, he's okay now. And, she's like, and she asked, like, what do you mean you took care of his eczema? I said, oh, he doesn't have any more. And she said, really? Wow. Um, you know, I got like some radiation burns from my treatments. She was talking about her cancer treatments. Like, do you think that it might help with that? And I said, welcome to try. You know, I, I'm still like just surprised that it took care of eczema and I left it at that. So she tried it and she said what began happening was that because of, of the, um, uh, the burns and the lesions that she had within her skin, she said when she would apply it and then follow up with a shower, it would be like the skin just started just falling off and then new growth began happening and she was blown away. Then she decided to take it internally and that's what changed everything for her. This was a woman who was battling severe insomnia, upset stomach, couldn't eat, couldn't um, uh, digest food well enough and started to use a rice grain of this oil twice per day. And it was like you, you, we watched someone rise out of death. I'm very fortunate that I got to see the progression. Um, you mentioned my wife um, th through her lens because she was able to give me a bit of a, a physician's perspective on what's, what she sees that's going on. And I recognize that one of the main things that the cannabis oil did for her was that it reduced inflammation in the body. So at the core of, you know, some of our biggest pains and diseases and uh, illnesses, it is inflammation. So attacking that as the first problem, it, it started to, to clear up so much more. Once she learned that this thing was such a benefit to her, the first thing that she asked me was, uh, how can we grow some? Because the regimen that is required, at this point, she, she realized that she was onto something. But the regimen that is required to address cancer, um, she had stage three cancer, uh, lymphoma. The regimen that's required to address it was uh, a significant amount. Uh, I would say if you were to compare it to, let's say, street prices or so, you can imagine paying upwards of $3,500 to $4,500 per month just so that you can get a few drops of oil, just so that you can get um, uh, your oil supply. And that's approximately 90 grams of cannabis oil in a month, uh, in a, in a three-month period, so about a month and a month and a month. It's an excessive amount, and it's a hard choice for someone to make, especially if they have already been dealing with um, doctor's bills and insurance letters. And, you know, these, these are the things that we, um, you know, I factored in as far as why I was doing this. The burden that was placed on this woman was heavy. It was heavy. And here we are, we found something that actually started to turn it around. 
I, like I, I was I was blown away by the progress, blown away. We learned how to to grow. Like I mentioned earlier, sometimes I enjoy being in my garden, just tomatoes and peppers and all that. Um, so then we got some materials together and she was able to start growing. Um, she was in the District of Columbia. So uh, the district allows um, for plant growth. And we watched her just take control of her health, take control of her situation. Um, she became her own doctor again. And going back and getting reports and they, they couldn't understand what was going on. I, was just, I think there's something therapeutic just about growing plants. I mean, beyond yeah. medicine itself, just that process of being in, in engagement with nature and having that. It, I was a cultivator for 15 years, and so my relationship to the girls was really, really special to me. And, yeah, um, I was single for a lot of those years because of that relationship being so strong. <laughs> I get you. I get you. Um, you know, I, uh, for me, it was just I wanted to make sure that I was. Uh, helping the right way, you know, so I want to have as much information as possible. I'm just happy that I, I got to see cannabis help someone in that light. Um, you know, so of course, like seeing, seeing her pro, um, progression, and that was just, that was uh, early 2017. Then I tell my mom, so then my mom is asking me, hey, how's the kids doing? And this and that. I said, oh, great, great, great. You know, I took care of uh, you know, Micah's eczema. And Guess what? I have a friend with cancer, and her life is starting to turn around. And then my 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 mom is just like, now tell me all about it. Now this is a woman who's a conservative Christian missionary. We've never even had alcohol uh, in the house. I think we had like Manischewitz wine. Yeah, <laughs> we had you know time and time, and just like apple cider. You know, we're very just uh, quiet, conservative uh, kind of family. So she, she was she was concerned um, the legality of it, but I did not have to convince her one bit at the power of the plant, at the abilities of the plant. She definitely understood that plant medicine is a better option for us, and that is the way that we should be going. So then she immediately went to tell her entire church folk network and co-workers and my aunt here and my uncle there and my cousin Susie. So that turned into uh, two patients, turned into, into 10, into 20, and uh, I think um, around 50 patients or so in my life, my top um, uh, record. And I would just listen to these stories and listen to them and, and, and try to uh, use some information from my wife. You know, I'm not a physician. I've never had a physician background, but now I've been presented with all these pains and um, uh, and issues. And someone's got to do something about them, right? So I always decided to help, and I would just counsel them the, the same way that I, that I learned from um, Rick Simpson and how he performed his treatments. And then, of course, I got my counseling from my wife as much as possible. So I have to say, if she hasn't been, if she hadn't been with me, I just, this is not something I would have ever gotten into. I would have just maybe uh, helped my son with the CBD oil and just put everything under the rug and just, but she kept pushing me, like, look into her further. It looks like you're onto something. And she was and, right. And now just, just for anybody who hasn't heard the other episode with your wife, and so Melinda Toussaint, she runs the Mary Care Wellness. So she actually started her own cannabis clinic as uh, she's a registered nurse, right? 
she's a nurse practitioner. So a nurse practitioner yeah. in the state of Maryland, um, nurse practitioners are uh, one of the qualifying physicians uh, if someone wanted to get a, a medical cannabis card. So she's been able to use um, her uh, background in, uh, I guess, standard care and traditional uh, medicine, along with some newfound knowledge of holistic therapies and uh, naturopathic medicines. Yeah. And so I imagine having her as a, a reference was invaluable. Absolutely. And, and then was she building her clinic at the same time that you were taking on these other caregiving yeah, responsibilities? Yeah. Uh, um, my first patient, um, which was her friend Kiara, the young lady that I was just referring to, they are the ones who decided to uh, get together along with uh, Melinda's sister and form this new approach to healthcare. You know, and I thought at the time it was like, okay, you know, I'm not sure how many people will want to get into this, but I, in the past few years, we've just quickly, we've seen how uh, plant medicines have been uh, a much better benefit to the uh, the public versus uh, pharmaceutical um, uh, medicines. Uh, I think we are heading in the right direction. And um, I'm just happy that, um, uh, Kiara, um, Bernice, uh, my wife, Melinda, uh, that they were able to see that kind of forefront on the horizon. Yeah. And so where did that take you? You started being the caregiver for all these different patients. And yeah. uh, how did that keep evolving? Um, it, it, it evolved uh, into um, going off to Haiti. We spent about a year in Haiti, uh, mid-2017, and returned late 20, uh, middle, middle of 2018. And um, I found even more patience and success out there. Out in Haiti, you have a lot of dietary issues, um, um, sleep issues. So one of the things that is, you know, just an amazing benefit is just the ability to rest, rest the body. You know, a lot of these people are um, often um, local workers or so. They're in a rural area. Uh, we were in parts where it was farmland to the left and right, mountains to, mountains to the back. And a lot of people didn't have access to powerful uh, medicines um, such as cannabis oil. So uh, when I arrived there, I was able to find some um, local uh, Rasta men who lived out there. They were able to get me some extremely inexpensive. But what I loved about it was that this was now like the wild, you know, like this was the, the purest of the pure stuff. And the types of oils that are made, I don't know, I was I was a magician just because the, the plant benefit was so much greater from that atmosphere, that part of the world. It was just amazing compared to the results that I was seeing with our patients here in the States. So I, I can see people getting getting better faster and sleeping better longer. That's, I guess, the kind of best way I can put it. In turn, that sleep and that rest assisted with them um, getting out of the situations. We dealt with patients with diabetic issues, a lot of um, women with uh, UTI issues, chronic pain um, from scabs and wounds that may have not healed appropriately because of lack of care and clean, and clean water. Very small things that to us, excuse me, very small things to us here in a first world setting. But when you look at it in a third world setting, it's massive. Like it's, a, um, you know, it's a bad infection and you didn't get it taken care of. Not a problem. We'll just amputate the leg. You have to be fine with it and, and, and get going the next day. So something like that 
I mean, you know, I, it was just, it was just nice to be able to be out there uh, and just help people that were in need um, because I still have family and friends there. My connection with them was so strong and they have, they had a trust in us. Yeah. And so it's really interesting that you found it to be so much more efficacious as regards to the plants that you were getting from Haiti compared to what you were getting in the States here. What, do you attribute that to the different oh, yeah. indigenous strains there? Or what do you think is going on? Yeah, definitely uh, indigenous strains. And I think the sun, just um, the additional sun that I was out that was there. Um, they also dried their plants slightly differently, right? So they kind of treated them like tobacco plants, right? Whether you hang them in a, a, a barn or something, just kind of like leaving them out to dry. What I realized now that I'm looking at was that I thought it would have had more of an effect as um, a land-raised strain, seeing a sativa, a sativa kind of um, flower and growth. But something, something about their plants created more what's called CBN, and it made the body more sedated. From my experience, when the body is um, uh, growing, going through tra- traumatic stress or, or illness, it's when it needs the most rest. So I think that coupled with the ability to extract the uh, inflammation, and that's what I, that's what I that's what I enjoy about um, cannabis oil the most, because we've been able to um, extract the most the most inflammation using this medicine. I think that as things go on further. When we start to see like um, new variations, different plants, um, uh, the cross plants and the um, different breeds coming together, we'll start to see um, more more powerful cannabis extracts. Um, but for me, I was just so happy to get that variety out there. Yes, the quality of the flower here was awesome. I think I feel the more recreational form, but because it had so much more access to the sun, and open wild variety. It was just like, it's like a salad. I'm just tossing together different vitamins from this plant and this, and this nutrient, this cannabinoid. I don't get the, I don't get the same diversity here uh, is what I experienced, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that something that I've been seeing in studies and also in anecdotal stories is that the really, really high THC cultivars that have become all the rage in, in the States here, mostly because of the adult use stuff. And I mean, because people like to get really high, I guess. But they're noticing that the high THC levels have zero correlation to medical benefit and even some lower THC levels in, in the four or five, six percent range are showing to be more beneficial medicinally than even the high stir, the high uh, potency strains are. Yeah, you know, that's what the market seems to be asking for right now. I think that if if we focus on just that like higher THC uh, amount, we'll be we'll be losing out a lot of other information such as the benefits of the, of terpenes and what they have on the effect of the body. And if you don't no, uh, terpenes are what gives the plant its like fragrant profile, and you know it's the kind of thing that we we actually experience every day. If you think about an orange, you know, slice it open, that first citrus burst, you know, that's a terpene limonene, right? And it's also responsible for creating positive and uplifting feel in the body. Um, and you know, who doesn't feel uplifted when they? slice open a lemon or a pineapple. And then you have another terpene um, called linalool, 
You know, that's a that's a terpene that's similar to the lavender plant. If you ever break down a, a lavender plant, it goes, hmm. you know, it just kind of brings you down a bit. So if we have a plant that is able to gather more, more terpenes and cannabinoids versus the other, it might be a good idea to focus in on that, you know, because they pull that from, from the lights. They pull that from the sun in particular, you know, which I am biased against outdoor grows. I do believe those are the best, but it's a plant. It's, it's a plant and it was made to be outside. I'll just say that in its natural form. <clears throat> but because um, there are benefits of higher THC amounts when regarding uh, cancer, I think there is also great room for um, uh, those high extracts, like the, the high test numbers. Um, you know, cannabis oil is one of the first products that has been proven to assist with uh, cell apoptosis. It actually has the ability to go into the body, have a conversation with the cancer cells and tell it, kill yourself. Okay, start now. And the cell actually follows this instruction. That's what people should be trying to figure out more of. How is it that a plant can tell my cancer cell to kill itself and at the same time help me reach homeostasis? This is, mm, this. let's find out some more, guys. Not a scientist here, but just saying, let's get some more information here. It, it's, it's fascinating for me. So I, that, that's what excites me the most because I know I've just scratched a, the surface and uh, I know that the problems that I've seen and I've dealt with so far, like the, the patients that I've had, it's very small in comparison to the people who do not have any access or any knowledge of this whatsoever. The people who are paying thousands and thousands of, of um, dollars in medical bills and pharmaceutical bills and um, their insurances and, you know, again, you know, choosing whether they, they want to pay um, uh, rent this month or they got to get their, their cancer medicine. Rick Simpson has always stated that, um, that doctors have a, they have a, a, a duty, first do no harm. It's, it's almost maddening now that we're in 2020 and we as a people are still accepting chemotherapy as the, the most common and traditional way to address cancer. Attacking a threat with another threat. I don't know that if that brings any harmony to the body. I, I much rather the the um, uh, the plants approach, which is just let's have a conversation. <laughs> well, and that's the thing too is uh, I recently interviewed a gentleman who had two different stage four cancers, and he did go the traditional route with chemotherapy. But before starting the chemotherapy, he started using Rick Simpson oil as well, and he he beat both those cancers, which is something according to him, that never happened. And through the process of chemotherapy, which is, like you're saying, it's pure poison. It's disgusting. It's and, and it's barbaric that we do it to people, to these patients that need some kind of treatment. But in his experience, he was able to use the Rick Simpson's oil and he wasn't nauseous all the time. He was able to taste his food. He's able to keep eating. And he really attributes the nutrition that he was able to get because of the cannabis treatment helped him through and beat these cancers. You know, if I, if I didn't see his story, I don't know if I would have been, if I ever would have been as um, emboldened or, you know, I just, I, I watched someone who just was out there uh, and not for profit, not for any profit, not for any gain. And 
to this day, and this is this is about say, like 24 years ago, and Rick is still out there teaching people how to um, take care of themselves. What I really love um, as well is that he he strongly emphasizes emphasizes that you we've got to become our own doctors, take medicine and put it back in our hands. We we have to we have to be able to do that, and uh, especially in regards to how to, to making the medicine, he always encouraged. Don't just go out and start buying it up. Just start buying it from you know whoever's selling it. No, learn how to make this. Take care of yourself. It's an easy process. Um, when I first learned it, I, I thought it was going to be a bit complicated. But now that you know, I've done a few um, runs and steps, and my view of it really is like making coffee, like like actually grinding coffee. You know, laying it out. I remember those old percolator pots uh, they used to put on the. It's like making that level of coffee, but it tastes all the all the better. You know exactly what's in it. You, you know, you brewed it, you washed it, you got it to the right temp that you want, and you, and it agrees with your body. And that's what Kiara was able to do. That's what she was able to do when she started to make her own plants and take care of herself in that way. And I believe that's what. Um, uh, attributed to um, the, the upward benefit. So I am a big encourager for that. So now I, that brings me to an interesting place because I understand that you, you're you um, a general manager, assistant general manager at a dispensary now. And so do you have any kind of conflict morally, internally, knowing what you know about you know, this encouragement to produce it yourself, grow it yourself, make it yourself, and then selling other things at the yeah, dispensary? Yeah. Um, I tell people to learn how to make it, even though we actually sell the, the product at the at the stores. I tell people learn how to make it, uh, even if you're, you you have to purchase, of course, the the flour, acquire the flour, and learn how to make this. Financially, as well, it is the better option. Okay, if you look at the the cost, because there you have to involve certain materials and um, uh, things like that. Uh, if anyone ever has any questions as well, just, I'd love to point them the right way. But in the long run, you want to take the, the care of your health into your hands and just, just handle it. Yeah, so no much of a conflict for me because I, I want the person to have the, the kind of intimate experience that I have because without that, I don't think I would have had this uh, appreciation and respect for it as well. I certainly do think that there are some people who um, can take cannabis and use it um, in an excessive and um, uh, irresponsible form. I've never advocated for that, but I have advocated for people to take their health into their own, own hands. And if you have a family member that is suffering from a condition or pain, that you be the one to step in with this rational, this very rational treatment. I just feel that we were, we were, we were lied to for so long. And I lied to myself. I misunderstood others when they told me about their pains, their anxieties, their discomforts. I belittled their level of pain and discomfort. And I only maintained my view, what I felt was normal coping and normal uh, health care. My view of normal was very skewed. And it was skewed um, towards cannabis being a bad plant a bad idea and bad medicine didn't learn it the right way unfortunately that's that's not a rare case there's so many people in this country all over the world that have been fed all these lies for most of their life you know i grew up in the 80s and there's the say no to drugs you know there's this constant 
constant barrage of lies about cannabis. And so we have a lot of unlearning to do by teaching people correctly in this country. Oh, I believe, I believe, I mean, I tell my patients all the time and it really isn't our responsibility to um, uh, convert people or, or more or less advocate, but at a minimum, what we have is our testimony. I have a testimony that no one could ever take away. I know how my son sounded at night. I know how many trips to the doctors we took. I know the late nights that I stood up reading and reading articles and watching YouTube videos. I have a testimony that is genuine to my experience and no one can ever take that away from me. So all you can do is share your testimony. No one can take that away from you. Whether they believe you that it works or they think that they, the results weren't um, what they should have been. You have now taken your health into your hands. Good job. Yeah, absolutely. And since there's so many benefits to science, of course, and, and we've come so far in our society because of it. And one of the downfalls is that it doesn't like testimonials like you have. You know, they they kind of shy away. They call it anecdotal anecdotal evidence, and they sort of push it to the side when. These are real experiences from real people, not some guy in a white lab coat just plugging away at, at specimens and trying to do it over and over and over again to prove something. So I think it's really important to have your kind of testimonial. Thank you. I, yeah, uh, I'm just I'm happy to have it and um, <clears throat> just, you know, helping people along the way, just watching something that's really special. And, uh, you know, of course, I just I'd like more people to learn about it, go out and, you know, read and uh, understand um uh, what cannabis oils uh, benefits are, and then also um, seeing, um, you know, what is it that perhaps you you haven't looked at, you know, the angles. Um, you know, my, my thinking was so one-sided and skewed, I never even opened the possibility that, hey, you know what, plants reduce inflammation. That was the first hurdle that I had to cross. I said, wait, that's why I take Advil. That's why I take Tylenol and um, ibuprofen and such. I don't need a plant. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit into something that uh, you wanted to discuss and the, the need for diversity and leadership. And I was hoping that you could tell me what's going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, my thoughts are that with the cannabis industry growing at the pace that it is right now, so, so rapid and, um, you know, you have all these um, large multi-state operating companies, you know, global companies that are uh, able to now to discuss, uh, I haven't seen it uh, yet, but um, cross-country transport. Retail markets in the, in the USA are, you know, well over uh, 10,000 at this point. There's uh, places left or right opening up. We can't forget that most of this progress has been made on the backs of minority people who were unequally placed in prison for aspiring to do the same things that these companies are now comfortably operating in. I think it's important that we don't forget that those people and their family paid a severe price, right? We will never get that father back into the community. We'll never get that son back into his high school role or that daughter back into her family setting. 
these these things have to be addressed. I think the best way to address it is to making sure that the future decision makers are people who have been severely impacted by this war on drugs, that you come from the communities that have been severely impacted by the war on drugs. Now, my statement is very specific because I, I'm referring to leadership and even as far as executive and corporate leadership. What I'm observing in the dispensary markets right now is that there's dozens of jobs for people who have come from those communities, people who have been negatively impacted. There's dozens of um, retail openings and roles, right, for that level of work. But oftentimes, those are, those are work levels that keep you within the lower socioeconomic population, no matter what. You're talking about $14 an hour, 16 bucks here to, to start as um, a dispensary worker, upwards of $50,000 or so if you happen to make it and become a, a manager, uh, being capped at 80K a year or so. What we need are people who are within the decision-making areas of our HR teams, uh, our outreach teams, uh, the ones who are really making impact on corporate policies. Because what we want to see is that the same people who are severely affected are not just on the bottom and um, having success in that base realm. I think there's a, sup a supreme upside if we were able to increase the diversity that we have in our corporate and executive roles within the cannabis industry. I think it's very important that we start seeing board members with a diverse background, executive um, uh, associates or partners with a diverse background. However, unfortunately, right now, we're seeing three quarters of our executive leadership as outside, outside of um, uh, a severely impacted community, middle-aged white American men. So if we are trying to use this industry as the way to turn this around. You know, we understand it was a terrible past hundred years and uh, these drug laws that really affected us, especially on cannabis. Well, it's important that the people who are guiding the new ships that we're going into the future with, they have to have that kind of testimony and that kind of experience behind them, uh, that they, they know the effects, they know what it, what it felt like. And they can also advocate for future people who are coming out of those kind of communities. Um, I think policies get affected that way. Pay rates get affected that way. Right? If we don't have um, a diverse um, set of people who are uh, issuing pay rates, that brews frustration, um, that, bru that brews discouragement when there's an unequal pay gap, but there's, a, there's you know, a pay gap that might be present. So all those happen from the top side. It's important that these executive leaders that we have in our um, industry today uh, recognize that and immediately um, shift and turn course. I feel like the excuse right now is that uh, within the cannabis industry, it's we're so young, we're so young, we're so young. We're building something that requires innovative minds. And the only way that you can reach innovation is if you start with a diverse group of thinking people. But I don't see how it's possible that, let's just say, a board, a, a board of six white American men can now have a full-on, compassionate, and um, transparent understanding of what it was like to be in a, a person of color in a community that was affected by the war on drugs.
Yeah, and I think it's become very clear. There's been different studies that I've been reading about uh, just general diversity in a general business kind of space, not necessarily the cannabis industry. But if you take a predominantly white male or even just predominantly white group of individuals within a business setting, they will be outperformed across the board by a more diverse group of people in any business setting because of exactly what you're saying. You're having multiple perspectives and multiple ideas and the innovation just becomes so much more grand at that point. And, and it reminds me also of what you're talking about with the, the plants that you came across in Haiti, right? Having more diversity within the plant with the cannabinoids and the terpenes is going to be more beneficial for the patient. It's, it's, the world runs on diversity and it becomes a more beautiful and more welcoming and more healing place, yeah. the more diverse that it is. Yeah. I feel like it starts at, you know, the microbiome and it goes all yeah. the way up to us humans. I say, I say this is the time now because, you know, this is when we're building up this industry. This is when um, things like benefits packages are being solidified, contracts. You're talking about um, stocks and shares. These are, these are things that are life-changing, life-impacting, you know? It's for, so to be someone who comes out of those communities and you have something to give as well, you know, uh, I think certainly talent is um, a requirement and looking at how that talent fits the goals. Uh, but I, I definitely would like to see this turn around more immediately. I certainly understand like now in the climate that we're in, the um, Black Lives Matter uh, movements, I certainly understand that we're, we're going to see more news on that. You know, I don't think the cannabis industry is going to be um, let off the hook. Yeah, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Now, I know there's organizations like the Minority Cannabis Business Association and, and things like that. Are there any other resources that you know of or any ideas that you have about creating organizations to help foster this kind of change? Yes. One of the, the things that I, I try to do is... Um, get a part of uh, just networks or so local local kind of small events i've um, been to uh events such as the spark um uh, events and i've brought i've brought that up and we do have people who um who are concerned about that but i i haven't seen any collective push it is a topic of conversation but i have i can't say that i've seen uh outside of the um, marijuana minority businesses that have a, a push toward that. And what I'd like to see as far as push is, is more legislation, all right? It, it would have to come from the governing bodies that are issuing these licenses because the way that it stands right now that each state is essentially responsible for its licensing goals. So each state has its own. So you can have one state that's more progressive, you can have one state as more conservative, but these are often coming from operators that have a huge corporate body already established. So they they more or less they they more or less bring the big wave in with them, and I think it's important that before they are uh, allowed into the local industry that they be vetted to see how diverse are you in regards to what we are looking for for our state because our state recognizes what we've gone through these past few decades on this topic. And we want to make sure from top to bottom, we're going to try to clean this all the way up. So yes, it starts by issuing uh, diverse licensing, right? 
So you want to make sure we're having more female owners, more um, um, minority applicants. You want to make sure that you're you're having better access to funding, lending, right? Because we're we're often not privy to those things. So it is on the responsibility of the state, I feel, to increase those um, those standards, not just at the dispensary level. That's the rub. Like, we'll take care of, we'll make this as diverse as possible. But once you're looking for the corporate um, horizon, you know, the, the rainbow isn't as bright, very bland. And I think it is the, the responsibility of the state um, to make sure that these um, these corporate bodies are um, are upholding them are upholding themselves as biased as possible to um, representing uh, those people that come from uh, communities that were severely impacted um, from this war on drugs. Um, so for me, it's how can we how can we start? It's almost like state by state legislation. It's frustrating, right? Because I, I can't fight Florida and. And then California at the same time. And, you know, we want because we want to see this bloom, not just straight upwards, but bloom out, opening up for, for other people and other opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got my mind going. I'm trying to pay attention to you and trying to figure out how we can make some real progress in this issue. And I think you're right at everything. It starts on a local level and having conversations with with city council and starting there and then moving up from there. But yeah, the, there's, there's still some unfortunate borderline criminality with the state licensing and, and, you know, backdoor handshakes and things like that. So all, there's a lot of things that are going to have to change within this industry. Yeah, there, there is. Um, I, I mean, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I guess it has to take more, you know, more people like yourself and myself and um, uh, other advocates to speak up on those things. Uh, it, it makes me also just remind myself, like, I, I can't get off the hook either, you know, because I've got a certain amount of experiences that would be very valuable to someone who's coming after me. So I have to be able to share those. Yeah. So what else do you have going on? What What's the future look like for you and in, in- regards to your activism around cannabis, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I have always had this uh, passion for um, the retail experience uh, overall, just kind of like engaging um, with people on a customer level. Um, uh, I spent uh, about two years with uh, Ritz Carlton and um, learned how you can actually create magic on a person-to-person basis. And I'm still hungry to see how that can be applied into cannabis. So far from what I'm seeing, it is tremendous upside because you're essentially pairing experience to perhaps one of the most popular products in the world, right? So someone walks in, they're already happy because they're here. (laughs) You know where we are. And now you... You know, you connect the product and it's just like, oh, beautiful union. So I'd like to see more, um, you know, uh, how I can challenge myself in the future of, um, of creating those kind of like immersive uh, cannabis retail experiences, because I think this is a, a, a viable plant option for um, uh, grandmothers, grandfathers, students, parents. Um, you know, there's, there's just a variety. And then like my son someone his age. I'm just looking forward to seeing how I can like, continue to blend uh, my love of hospitality in the past with my understanding of um, cannabis and its benefits. Yeah, I love it. I love it. 
So I'll come with the final question, and I think it's something we've addressed, but might get something new out of you too. But what's the one change that you'd really want to see most in the medical cannabis industry? Hmm. Um, we, as an industry, we have to be mindful that the the people who are who are pursuing these licenses, trying to um, to start these businesses, they're average folk. Right now, the atmosphere is, you know, let's just say today, if I wanted to go out and apply and start a business and uh, open up um, some sort of cannabis um, business, I would need a, upwards of uh, half a million dollars just to start. $50,000 of that application is, that is an application fee. That's $50,000. I don't think we have any other industry in this country at this time that a small business owner would be required to shelve out $50,000. It is the first discouragement into having equality into this market. It is the first discouragement because historically, people that come from these communities do not have access to that level of um, free cash. Okay? The cost cost and what happens often is that if you are passionate like what i've conveyed and you've conveyed matthew if you're that passionate you don't just discourage guys like us people like us like we know it needs to be out there we know people need to have this we push forward and we find partners and those are the people that we have to be careful with because they're often not coming in with that heart centric those partners often view the cannabis industry as a very opportune time to join in at the ground floor. And it's like you get in bed with someone that never really had the same um, goals and um, uh, values behind this thing as you do. So I, I say it is, again, kind of it's back on our, our localities. It's, it's back on um, us as uh, citizens who have allowed for these things to be in our communities, right? It is on us to kind of um, uh, go out there and express that we, we want this kind of change. I have not had an advocacy root background. And what I find is that I'm meeting so many people now who have always been advocates of, of, of that particular core issue that the race is, the, we can't even jump into the race, right? Because there are so much uh, barriers um, just to do, to apply and acquire a license. So until we start seeing that down, you know, and that's a that that starts again at the state level as well. That starts at being taxed, you know, reduce the large the large significant amount of taxes that's involved in just running a business like this, and pursue pursue uh, minority applicants and pursue um, female owners and encourage that state ownership remains at state level, and then just grow your business. You know, give give the opportunity to grow your business. And who knows what other ancillary um, businesses you can branch out and form. And, you know, now, now instead you've, you've just opened one store and you've got this, um, uh, this location, which is a, a delivery uh, system. And you have this location, which uh, makes um, different edible products for you. And now you can start talking about what everyone wants these days. It's a brand. You can't have that unless you are able to um, have these 
multiple experiences and that you're able to get into the race fairly. So, you know, to, to sum it up, what I really like to see is that uh, our licensing practices, I like them to be adjusted and um, open the race up, you know, open the race so that a more diverse background can, can join in and just be mindful of the outsiders that are coming in because they may not be as cordial as we are. Yeah, or authentically interested in helping people. Yeah, yeah instead of very helping important. their pockets. Very important. You know, communities get impacted. You know, every dollar that comes into these local dispensaries, they they have an impact. Yeah, it's very true. It's a lot to think about, Nixon. I, I really appreciate your perspective and, and your time and sharing your story with me. And I, I hope that we can keep this dialogue going in the future because I, I see a lot of amazing things in your future. And I think that you and Melinda are a powerhouse couple within the cannabis industry. And I'm excited to see what happens and where you take this. Hey, I'm, I'm excited um, as well. Um, just thankful that I can even um, speak on these things today. You know, I was just happy to see uh, the turnaround for my son and look at like, where we are now this is four years later and just continue to continue to help people along the way just happy to be here yeah absolutely well hope you enjoy the rest of your day and uh and we'll be in touch my friend happy thanks so much man what a beautiful thoughtful and compassionate soul nixon is i'm so grateful that i had the opportunity to sit down with him and talk with him for as long as I did really dive into his story and how he has a passion for healing and helping people here in the States and also down in Haiti where he's from. It was just a pleasure to be able to hear from him and and be able to hear his ideas around greater diversity, not just within entry-level positions at dispensaries, but among the corporate structure within the medical cannabis industry. It's the only way we're really going to be able to see the change that we need to see within this industry and to be able to keep innovation going. Diversity brings new ideas from many different areas to the table so that we can keep growing and keep evolving as an industry. So I highly recommend that you listen to his wife's episode that was a few episodes back melinda toussaint she runs her own clinic the two of them together are bringing so much healing and so much positive change to this industry and i want to keep supporting them any way i can so until next time my friends please stay healthy and find joy in your lives This Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast is copyright EM2P2 Inc. 2020, all rights reserved. Podcast use and availability is governed by terms and disclaimers available at edgeofcannabismedicine.com forward slash terms. I'm your host, Matthew Myro, and thank you for listening.